Hey, what's up? Grace and peace. We're taking anarchy to church here on the Anarchist Bible Study. I'm Josh, a.k.a. Iowan Cap. And I'm Jeff Park, a.k.a. the proud proprietor of Pergamum Polishing and Podiatry. <laughs> it was, it's good. It was just as good the second time. This is take two because I was not recording my microphone the first time we did this. Cause I'm. I thought you were going to say it's been a while again. To which I was going to say, <laughs> when in actuality, let me pull back. The oh my goodness! It's been five minutes. <laughs> well, honestly, this this really just reinforces what I was going about when the microphone was cut. It's been a while, and yeah. uh, we thought I thought. Okay, so like I said, I'll go, I'll go back to this. I, I tweeted that I got a new uh, setup. I, I got myself a desktop. I had some good friends of mine uh, who, who know a lot about technology tell me what to get for a computer and for some new screens. I've got three screens in front of me. Giant, uh, awesome space. I've got everything kind of set up perfectly so I don't have to set up every single week and tear down and then kick my wife out of the bedroom and, and all these terrible things. Uh, I, I can I could just go into it. And yet, with this amazing stream set up, still Randy strikes again and keeps my mic muted. He mutes my mic the first time. We had amazing phenomenal uh so going back and forth what do you call it uh we are our uh was that um, repartee yeah our, that was brilliant it was the most amazing repartee for the beginning of an anarchist bible study we've ever had ever will have and it's all lost because randy stinking randy muted my microphone randy so uh, so as I, as I was saying, though, it's been a while that, since we've done something like this because uh, uh, with Patrick coming in and doing an episode uh, that, that Randy screwed up the first time as well, uh, he, he came in and let us record on a, I think it was a Wednesday or Thursday night, I forget, but it wasn't our usual Sunday. And so we didn't record the next Sunday or the Sunday after that because we had recorded a double episode with Patrick. Again, phenomenal episode. Thanks, Patrick. Uh, but as a result, that means we haven't done this in a few weeks. And uh, I'm kind of like, uh, clearly, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and the last time we had recorded on a Sunday was our Bruxy KVS episode, which <sighs> basically broke your brain. Which is wrong for which was wrong for so many reasons. <laughs> the recording quality was terrible. The video we were watching was terrible. Oh, boy. <sighs> oh man that's that's like i just i can't even like i still i, I want to talk about that even still more i haven't gotten over that episode <laughs> like it's just he he oh it's just the, the first half i'm just like trying to give him the benefit of the doubt benefit of the doubt benefit of the doubt then the last two minutes of the episode i just it I was like, I wanted to restart the video and just like no holds bars. Let's rip them to shreds. Start from the video. Start. Run it back. We're doing it again. <laughs> oh man! But you know, it, it's uh, you know, makes for good makes for good television, as they say. Um, so we're back. Is there anything? What's going on in the world? In your world, Jeff? Oh yeah. Um. So we've uh, we've kind of gone into a fourth lockdown. Um, <sighs> we've uh, we finally um, turned the corner to where the restrictions are uh, more unpopular than 
the lack of restrictions. Um, mm. And yet that's not stopping. <laughs> uh, uh, that's not stopping us from uh, going into a lockdown 3.6 or 4.0 or whatever this is by now. Um, and um, so, yeah, we're, uh, it's uh, still, um, I still have churches under padlock. Um, there's uh, been some, been some victories out in Ontario legally, um, but uh, it's still a, uh, um thing things are still just as just as broke as they were last time we recorded um uh basically but yeah. um but uh but yeah so but the the upside is i think i think i think people are finally just like they're not going to they're not going to obey like mm-hmm. <laughs> even the people who say there should be more restrictions are so obviously just saying, well, restrictions for other people, of course, because yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, because I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. Um, and, uh, and so, uh, and ultimately like, that's the only way we get out of this is I, I think just, um, mass disobedience. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, yeah. uh, I don't, um, because, uh, yeah, we've had, it, it's, uh, it's been, it's been unifying in a sense because there were a lot of people who were like, no, if everyone just obeys the rules, then, then we'll all get out of this thing. And now the mask has come off on that entirely. Everyone knows yep. that it's garbage. Pun very much <laughs> intended. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So they, that there's a, um, uh, there's no way that we obey our way out of this. So, um, yeah. So anyway, so that's the, that's the upside. Yeah. It, you, what's new and exciting in your world, man, man, we're having the opposite effect. I feel like we're, uh, we're seeing, uh, I tweeted the other day. It feels nice after all these many years of hearing the whole flyover country is six months behind everyone else thing to finally be like, Oh no, you guys will catch up. Uh, the masks are almost gone. Like I walked, I, I'm walking into stores uh, and they're all saying mask recommended, not mask required. And so I walk in and I kind of, I, I kind of do that thing. You know, I'm, I'm due to my position in the church. I don't really want to ruffle feathers. And so I'll kind of just throw the mask over my ear and see what ha- is happening inside and so I walk in and if most people are, uh, if most people are ma- are masked up, I'll throw the mask over my, my, over my ear. But, um, it's kind of like if no one is masked up, I'm not going to mask up either. And, uh, more and more I'm walking in and seeing no one's wearing masks. So I just pop it off my ear, throw it in my back pocket. And it's, it's, a. Uh, it's becoming more and more open. And even like my, my town is pretty close to a college town. So we probably have more of a blue presence than most small towns in Iowa. And even, even in my town, it's still just, it's, it's becoming more and more open, you know? And, uh, and I'm, I'm feeling great about it. And, uh, it's pretty great. Oh, I'm going to adjust my mic, my, uh, 
camera real quick. Um, sorry about that. And uh, yeah, one thing you can notice is look at my sweet haircut. Uh, yeah. Lady Iowa Cap, Miss Iowa Cap, whatever you want to call her. Uh, she she cut my hair this week, and it's it's looking snazzy. I'm feeling feeling all kinds of confident, ready to take on the beast of Revelation um, well, in a I couple years. Her wife of Ancap, by the way. Wife of that's been, <laughs> that's been my moniker for her. <laughs> Just, it works better in print, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, but yeah, we we uh. I don't know. Besides that, we're just kind of, you know, summer's coming. And, and that means for, for us as, as a family, we like to do a lot of uh, weekend traveling uh, to my parents, to her parents, uh, doing a lot more uh, stuff like that and uh, camping, things like that. And so we're looking forward to that um, a little bit more. Uh, but yeah, besides that, nothing, nothing really is going on in our world the usual but um so yeah let's see if uh let me double check we've got uh our plan for this week uh is to uh to start in back in on revelation it's been a a while that we've been out of the book of Revelation and uh, we're coming back into chapter one. We finished kind of the intro. We might do a flyover uh, look at the first, the intro again, just to make sure uh, we're reminding ourselves of where we've been, what we've been at. And, uh, but um, we're going to take a running start into verse nine through 20. And particularly, we're going to take a look at verse nine. We'll see. Uh, we'll see if we can get the 10 and 11, but knowing us, it seems unlikely. Uh, <laughs> the, the through 20 got my attention there. <laughs> okay. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, let's, let's go to, all right, let's go to that. Um, see, see, Jeff doesn't see this, but I just made the most smooth, beautiful transition that uh, has ever been seen in the history of the Anarchist Bible Study. And now we're ready to bring in those handsome faces back onto the screen. Here we go. Come on. Boom. There they are. Oh, yeah. That's a couple good-looking fellas right there. And we're going to okay. take a look. I only see you. So for me, it's like... A I don't know if you saw that um, that tweet on uh, non State of the Union State of the Union night where uh, Jake Tapper <laughs> was was tweeting out that he's uh, he, he he was so glad to be joined on the broadcast by these two brilliant uh, commentators um, and the Twitter cropping algorithm cropped out his co-host on both pictures. <laughs> It's two pictures of him. Um, oh no! Because <laughs> they were because it's CNN. They were social distanced, even though they're yep. all, they're all vaccinated. Um, but, oh yeah, uh, they all did it on camera. So obviously they are. <laughs> so, <laughs> so so in both cases, the uh, the woman who was commentating with him was kind of way in the background. So. 
so Twitter's cropping algorithm just cropped the woman out both times. (laughs) (laughs) These two brilliant commentators, and it was two pictures of him. It was amazing. (laughs) That's what that's what it reminded me of when you said you've got a these two handsome faces, and I only see you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, trust you. I'm on the screen for the viewers. Um, <laughs> All right, well, we're going to get into it. Let's remember, let's, we're going to take a, like I said, we're going to take a run at, uh, we're going to remind ourselves where we've been. So uh, the first four verses was what the ESV labels the prologue right here. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. This is the prologue showing this what this the, the title of the book, The Revelation of Jesus Christ, and that reminds us that it is a revelation of Jesus Christ. And and uh, we talked about how it's it's probably a revelation that Jesus Christ is himself revealing, though it is certain that Christ himself is revealed in this. And it was given from God to show his servants the things that must soon take place. And we said soon is an operative phrase right there. Soon take place. We're not talking about something that is going to be in thousands of years. These are things going on all around them. And we've talked, we talked about, um, this is episode two, by the way, if you want to go back. And uh, we talked about uh, partial preterism and idealism and, and things like that and, and approaches to the book of Revelation that are not the usual futurist view. Um, and uh, John, of course, is the the, the uh, writer of this, the one to whom Jesus Christ revealed all this, who bore witness to this. And uh, there's a blessing for those who hear and read these words. And then we get to the epistolary greeting right here. John, the person to whom Jesus revealed his gospel, grace to you and uh, to the seven churches that are in Asia. We're going to be coming back to that in this section. Grace to you and peace from him who is, who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. So this Trinitarian greeting there, um, with some important phrases that are going to be coming back. Um, so it's good that we're reviewing because these are phrases that are going to come back. Uh, the one who is and was and is to come. The seven spirits. Uh, we talked about how that comes from most likely from uh, uh, <laughs> from uh, Zechariah. Did I say Zechariah? Is that right? Zechariah? I think it was Zechariah 11. But yeah, yeah, yeah that's the one. Uh, or Isaiah. Isaiah 11. Isaiah 11, yep. Isaiah 11, the sevenfold spirit is probably more what we're talking about. And that's going to come up in, in this next section um, a lot. The, the seven spirits and the seven uh, churches are going to come up. And then, of course, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. And then there's the dedication to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his, to his God and Father, to him, that's Christ, be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And then there's this this little addendum at the end. Behold, 
He is coming with the clouds, which is an is Daniel 7 promise that he is coming to judge. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so. Amen. Or let it be. Amen. Then Jesus, then the Lord God speaks, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And that brings us out of the prologue and the epistolary greeting to the vision. The one that is spoken of right here. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. We can say that this right here, this title is going to, we're going to see what that is. So right up top, he says, this whole thing is a vision. And he gives this greeting, this letter greeting. In fact, it seems if, if you want to think about this in terms of chronology, probably nine through wherever is what happened first. He sees this vision. He writes it all down. Then he goes back and he adds the introduction and prologue to it. But this is that revelation that we're talking about. The revelation that God gave Christ to show to his servants through John. This is going to start in verse 9. And uh, let's take a look at that. So, I, John, the your brother and partner in the tribulation and kingdom and endurance in Jesus, in, in Jesus, uh, which was on the island, the one called Patmos, because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So I, John, that's the first thing. Once again, reminding us, bringing back this, the author, I, John. And as we've talked about in the past, we've talked about before, and this is important to remember, this John we're talking about is the same John who uh, penned the gospel of John and also first, second and third John. He's called the beloved disciple. He is uh, one of the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, uh, the sons of thunder, as Jesus called them, um, who uh, foolishly asked Jesus to sit at his right hand in the in his left hand in the kingdom. And uh, Jesus responds, you don't know what you're asking for. Um, but most likely by this point, he's figured it out. <laughs> uh, but this is John. And look at what he calls himself. First of all, he calls himself your brother. So we see so he's that likely, he's... What's that? Likely known to the people yeah. that he's writing to. Right. And one? Yeah, yeah. He's probably known. And also, he's not... Uh, what's interesting is he's not coming from because a lot of times when Paul or even um, or Peter would write these letters, they would flash their credentials. They would bring their credentials, and and for the and for good reason because they're trying to rem to show them that they have the right to speak and the right to they're speaking as apostles, as sent ones of Jesus Christ, and um, sometimes that's important. It's important to come with your with your credentials, um, but for one thing, I don't think he needs to bring credentials when his whole thing is a revelation directly from Jesus Christ. <laughs> but the other thing is he's he's clearly trying to set himself up as 
uh, someone who's in this together with the people. Like, you know, we, we're, we've become inundated with that phrase. We're all in this together. Oh, like we hear it constantly <laughs> nowadays, you know, especially from, uh, you know, those, those poor celebrities who are, um, you know, social distancing in their mansions and, and, uh, you know, we're all in this together. I don't know about you guys, but, uh, but you know, in this case, he is trying to remind them and show them that credentials are not, we are in this together. This is something that I am enduring with you because yeah, he goes on to say, and partner, and there's that word, uh, nos. now koinonia is the word for fellowship. Literally it means koine, uh, means common. In fact, the, the Greek of the new Testament is called koine Greek, common Greek. Um, and koinonia, you could, we, we often is where we get this, this, this kind of churchy word fellowship. And it really is the perfect way to define that word. It is commonality that it's, it's communion in the most deep sense. We have a commonality. And so he says, I am a fellow communioner in the affliction, the flip say, which is uh, the word for tribulation. And it literally means something like a pressing, a, a pressure. And uh, so in the tribulation, and the kingdom and the endurance in Jesus Christ. So the, the patient endurance as the ESV renders it. <clears throat> the second one we spoke a lot about in, in, in previous sections, and you can find that in our, um, in our previous episodes. Uh, we, we talked about that and there's plenty to say about that, but really I think it's so interesting to, to really zoom in on is that word right here the tribulation. This is a term <laughs> that uh, has certainly come with baggage <laughs> uh, in, in the, in the modern church world and in discussion about revelation and end times. Um, in fact, if you are a pastor in churches or, or a, uh, a teacher in churches um, in ma mainstream evangelicalism. Uh, it's really only a matter of time before you have someone walk up to you and say, Hey, I've got questions. Can you tell me what do you believe about the tribulation? <laughs> so, uh, so Jeff, what, what is the tribulation in common in the common understanding the common understanding of modern day evangelicalism. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the, the tribulation um, for modern evangelicals tends to be this um, seven year period where um, the, um, where I guess I guess it depends on the <laughs> I guess it depends on the school, but but uh, the most common one would be seven year period where where the church and the Holy Spirit are pulled out of the earth um, and the Antichrist is given full reign and um, and the wrath of God is poured out on earth um, in a particular way and um, that any people who become believers in God during this time 
are going to experience particularly intense hardships. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a it's such a common view and honestly so unquestioned that um it, it's a little bit like pulling the rug out from someone to tell them, you know that's not the only way to to understand this. <laughs> you know there's other ways you can think about this word of tribulation. And um in fact, it's it's interesting because it 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 actually has a lot of um. I guess you could say similarities to uh, telling someone you're an anarchist, telling someone you don't believe in a seven year tribulation. It's like, what do you mean? That's that's not a that's not an option. We're <laughs> we're Christians. We believe in the tribulation. Um, and because there's there's really like a. a a, a, uh, I guess you could say um, a spectrum of people who believe this um, from the people who that seems to be all they can talk about is the tribulation, 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 tribulation. Uh, and people who just sort of believe that and are like, well, I don't, it sounds scary, so I don't really want to talk about it. Um, but then you come to this passage, and what does he say? Right here, what does he say? It says, I, John... Your brother and partner in the tribulation. Like he's saying, I am with you in this. I am a fellow, uh, a fellow traveler in, in tribulation here. And and that is um I guess you could say an interesting uh, an interesting phrase to see if what you're thinking about the tribulation is it is something um, that is future, this seven-year thing. Um, yeah. Yeah, and and so look, the all these schools of of how to approach. The book of Revelation and uh, and the preterist or futurist or or uh, uh, millennial views or or pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. <laughs> These are not the most important um, ways to conceive of the book of Revelation, but we do have to bring them up at certain points like this one because yeah. if. Um, because there's there's such an overwhelmingly common view, which unfortunately more or less um, makes this book only relevant to a certain yes. class of Christians, which is the Christians who are there for the very last things, which mm -hmm. is so then, um, and then, and there are certain senses in which the book can only be understood as you see the the revealing of 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 the last things. Whereas this is this book is saying that this has been revealed to John on an island <laughs> in mm. the first century. Yeah, and and uh, um, and not that, not that we're having to wait to see these things 
unspooled and revealed to us by the playing out of human history. And this is this is one place where I even fault the historicist view a little. Mm-hmm. Um, so we talked about these views. This was episode two, right? Or was it episode yeah. three? It was episode two. Yeah, I think it's two. I think it's two. Yeah. Um. So so we talked about these views in in uh, to a fuller extent at that time, but. Uh, so this is, um, uh, so I would, I would even fault the historicist view a little bit here. And, and the, the basic thing that we want to argue for here is that, is, is that John sees himself as a co-sharer or a, or a, uh, a partner or a, um, a, a, uh, co-fellowshipper in, the tribulation um in other words that um that this was just as much for the first century church as it is for the 21st century church as it will be for the 22nd century church if the lord tarries um that that there's this isn't this isn't something that is this isn't a book that is getting progressively more relevant <laughs> um, as as more of its message is unspooled to us but 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 something that is permanently relevant and so what we would um, what we would argue as, as coming from a essentially although don't hold us to this exactly but from an essentially amillennial view is that the, yeah. the tribulation and the millennium both describe, um, aspects of reality as it has been from the inbreaking of the eschaton with Jesus, with his resurrection, mm-hmm. and with the mm-hmm. Pentecost, uh, and and with the destruction of the temple. So that yeah. so that there were, um, yeah, I, I guess I would say there were there were four key <laughs> four key places where where the eschaton has already broken in yeah. human history the birth of jesus yes uh, resurrection from the dead yes uh the day of pentecost and the destruction of the temple in 70 ad um and then and then uh from from that point onward tribulation and millennium have been the pattern of the church Constantly. That would be, mm-hmm. and now that doesn't that doesn't necessarily rule out that there there could be a a millennium on the yeah. earth. I'm willing to. I I don't need it to be there. There's no mm-hmm. <laughs> there's no particular passage of scripture that makes me feel like it it has to happen that way. But yeah, it could and. It wouldn't affect my interpretation almost at all of anything, um, mm-hmm. um, and uh, uh, and uh, and so in that sense, look if there's if there's a um, a particular a particular tribulation that that this book is about, and if it's in 70 A.D. or if it's right before Jesus comes back, but but. In outlining outlining that tribulation, it sets out 
a pattern for Christians to live in in all times and places, then then again doesn't change doesn't change my interpretation too much. So. Right. And I, I I think this is an important thing though to point yeah. out this this um New Testament eschatology um that we so often will limit to just talking about the end, the second coming. Um, I talked about this actually. I, I mentioned that I was on the Mad Ones a while back, and this is something that we actually got into a little bit on that podcast, where I talked about this was a metaphor that was used. Is like when you're looking out at a mountain range, and from a distance, it looks like these mountains are very close together, and so you see the two mountains that they saw in the Old Testament that were so close together was the mountain of the coming of the Messiah and the mountain of the end. Of the end of all things. So the Messiah's coming was supposed to be the mark of the eschaton. This has been the case all the way from the beginning. Like look at the first the first promise of the Messiah was called the Proto-Evangelion, the first gospel in Ge- in Genesis 3:15 where uh in in cursing the sh- the, the serpent God says uh I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed, your your offspring, and his offspring. You will bruise his heel, and he will crush your head. This is a statement of the seed of the woman, the child of the woman, the ultimate child, is going to come and crush the serpent's head. And will put to end all of our toil on the earth. This is why if you look a little bit, even just a little bit further in the book of Genesis... You see Lamech, the father of Noah, say, hopefully this will be the one who puts an end to our toil. He had messianic hopes for Noah. And in some sense, he had a taste of that in Noah. But uh, ultimately, that was the hope. And that, that intensifies more and more as you get go through the books of the prophets. This The coming of the Messiah, the child of David, the snake crusher who would put an end to our struggling and usher in peace forevermore. And so you've got these two mountains that, that we're looking for, but then as they come closer, as they see the Messiah come in Jesus Christ, we are coming closer to the mountains and we see there's a valley between. There's a valley between the two mountains. There, there's a valley between the coming of the Messiah and what we call the final end. And, and the longer we go, it seems that valley is much wider than we think and uh and that and but but even more you also have um this sense in which um when when jesus himself then predicts the end he says all right i'm coming here and this is a breaking in of and and i'm going to come back to that there's a breaking in i Maybe you see that I just put up a couple of verses, uh, but uh, I want to we're going we're to take a look at this breaking in of the eschaton, the end times in Christ. And this is very much John's perspective. But then Jesus himself in Mark 13, go look at it, Mark 13, and it's parallel in Matthew 24 and in Luke. Uh, sorry, Matthew 21. No, I got that backwards. Matthew 24 and Luke 21. Uh, you look at those parallel passages. Um, Jesus is looking at the temple in Jerusalem and his disciples, uh, because they're good Jews, 
who are known who know to revere the temple they say oh look at the beautiful stones look at the beautiful stonework uh, uh, master what do you what do you think about them and he says you think they're beautiful not one stone is going to remain that isn't thrown down and he predicts the the destruction of the temple of Jer of Jerusalem and then all of a sudden they say wait a minute master what are the signs of this of this event and and then follows the most un misunderstood chapter almost entire in the entire Bible. One of the most misunderstood cha chapters because then we start thinking, well, now he's talking about the end times. And in some ways, in some sense, he is. But he's saying this is the sign of the fall of Jerusalem. He's saying what what's going to happen? You're going to hear wars and rumors of wars. That's the prediction of the fall of the temple. And you're going to and he says, okay, woe to she who is pregnant at that time because you're going to have to flee for the rocks uh, at that point. And, and this is not about second coming. This is about fall of Jerusalem. But then he says, what will follow after the fall of, sorry, not Jerusalem, fall of the temple. What's going to happen after the destruction of the temple? He says, a time of deep tribulation. And then will come the, the Christ. Then the son of man will come on the clouds to judge. And so what do we get? Another mountain range, another set of mountains, fall of the temple, second coming of Christ, and in between, tribulation. Well, as it turns out, the time between is very long. And so on that question, mid-trib, post-trib, pre-trib, uh, which that whole question is, when does Christ return? Does Christ come in the middle of the tribulation, before the tribulation? After the tribulation, I don't see how I can be anything other than post-trip. Uh, I mean, post-trip, maybe mid-trip. If you're gonna, if you, if you want to say there's gonna be more tribulation after Christ returns, um, but the pre-trip position, in my opinion, is just indefensible. If what we're looking at when we're talking about the tribulation is first of all that period of time that follows after the destruction of the temple, then we have been living in that tribulation ever since, and we have caught, we have reason to believe that John himself understood that to be the case. So let's go back to, this, to these passages that I pulled up from 1 John. Okay, 1 John chapter 2. This is the letter of the same John who says he's the partner in tribulation. He says, children, it is the last hour. This is it right now. We're living in the last hour. How can he say that? This is written in eight, at the latest the year 90, like somewhere in the 90s, is, that's, that's at the latest when John would have been writing. Somewhere between 70s and 90s, but how can he say this is the last hour? Because we've been in the last hour since, uh, since Christ came. This is the breaking in of the last hour. There is the time that, the time of, 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 the time of the old age is coming to an end, and it has been true ever since Christ came. In many ways, this thing we call the kingdom of God is heaven in breaking into our current reality. The church is a new creation reality living among the old creation. When you walk into the church, you are walking among heaven. This is a very real sense. Like It's, it's certainly a not in its perfected, completed state, um, that's going to be found uh, in the end. But we are in the last hour. We live in the end times. When are the end times coming? They're all around you, homie. 
This is, this is where we live. We live in the end times. It says, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. So he's saying, you, you hear that there's an Antichrist coming. Now, he doesn't deny what we might call, what Paul calls a man of lawlessness, a, a kind of pinnacle Antichrist. That might come in, in what we might call a, a uh, intensification of tribulation right before Christ returns. There's a, very, there's a very strong possibility. I think there's a good case to be made for that. And yet he says, okay, sure, Antichrist coming, but look, Antichrists are here. There are many Antichrists, therefore we know it's the last hour. And he says, how do you, like, the ones he's talking about, they went out from us. These are apostates. These right. are people so who... What is he saying Antichrists are? They are people who pull people away from the church. People yes. who lead into apostasy. Yes. So, yeah, absolutely. They, they so, lead the... Yeah. When people ask me, while Barack Obama was president, if Barack Obama was the Antichrist, in a certain sense, yes. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> in the same sense, um, in the same sense that, yeah, I'm gonna maybe step on some toes. In the same sense that, like Oprah or Joel yeah. Osteen or Creflo Dollar are antichrists. Um, yeah. Then yes, Barack Obama is an antichrist. And, and even uh, let's let's also say this is something that um, Catholics maybe don't understand about. Uh, Protestant reformers, when they would write things in their documents, like the Pope is the Antichrist, they thought like it w sometimes when people would look at that and say, what, do they have some crazy end times fervor going on? It's like, <laughs> no, no, we understand him to be Antichrist in the sense that P that John is talking about here, that the, that he is that he against is, Christ yeah. in the way that he is standing against him. Now, of course, Catholic friends, I know that we disagree on that, but at least understand that's what we mean. We're not saying there is the end time. Yeah. Antichrist often that, that, yeah. that from our perspective, it is impossible that someone could fill that office where they are called the Holy Father, the vicar yeah. of Christ on earth, and yeah. by virtue of being a priest, an altar Christus. Altar Christus, uh, yeah. To, to have taken on, taken on the titles of all three persons of the Holy Trinity. Um, yeah. in their office, it is impossible that they could be anything other than an antichrist yeah. by virtue yeah. of, by virtue of holding that office. So okay. yeah, you can make an argument that we're wrong, but just at least understand what we're saying. This is what we're saying. And, but, but whatever the case, that is true that we say there are antichrists all around us. The, the antichrist is literally someone who is against Christ, who is pulling people away from Christ. And it says they went out from us, but they were not of us, but they have been of us. It'll continue with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us, but you have been anointed by the Holy one and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it because no lies of the truth who is a liar, but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the antichrist. He who denies the father and the son. No one who denies the son has the father. Whoever confesses the son is the father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If you heard, if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. 
And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. So you get a free uh, evangelistic note there too. Um, there's a, if you want the Father, if you want to get to God, you got to go through the Son. He's very clear about that. Um, and if you deny the Son, you deny the Father also. And so you can't get one without the other. Um, but but it's it's what what is clear is that we're talking about this Antichrist, and this is the the kind of what I'm getting at is that the most important thing is that John says. We can tell that it's the last hour because antichrists are among us. Well, has that stopped being the case? Have there stopped being people who deny the son that Jesus is a Christ and pull people away from, from, uh, from Christ? No. And so we continue to be among, uh, in, in the end times. Now let's look at, let's jump over to chapter four. Unless you have more to say on that. Do you have more to say on that? Nope. Let's go. All right, so let's jump over to chapter 4. And this is interesting. Uh, right, right at the top, look at there. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist whom you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome the world for he who is in you is greater than he was in the world. They are from the world. Therefore they speak of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. This gets back to that thing that I was saying again, that the new Testament eschatology is what, what uh, many scholars will call an already and not yet eschatology. That there is a sense in which we already are in the end times. And this is what he's getting at. This is the Antichrist is coming. That's an, a not yet. And yet the spirit of the Antichrist is already in the world and at work. So it's an already. There's an already in the sense of you are no longer in the world. You have overcome the world. You are something else, little children. You are from God. He who is in you is greater than he was in the world. In fact, this was the, the kind of expectation of Jewish eschatology at the time was that they, they would essentially divided all of history into two ages, the age of the flesh and the age of the spirit. And the age of the flesh was marked by sin, corruption, uh, and fallenness. But the age of the spirit would be the eternal resurrection life they some would even call it the time of perfection the messianic age was often called the age of the spirit messiah would come and he would pour out the spirit and that would put an end to the age of the flesh well there is an again an already and not yet component to that the spirit has been poured out uh this is the promise of those who are adopted in jesus christ is that they are given a promise of an inheritance and we receive a down payment of that inheritance in uh, the Holy Spirit. So the spirit is present, but not in a full sense. The, the fullness of our payment of our inheritance has not yet come, which is going to be full spiritual experience and no longer any fleshly experience like every believer um, experiences this tension in their own heart of on the one hand, I want to follow the spirit. I want to follow the way of God. I want to follow God's word and live faithful, holy life in uh, before God. And yet at the same time, I still have these sinful 
fleshly desires at work within me. And and John and Paul talks about that in Galatians, uh, that this is these two powers are at work fighting against each other uh, to prevent you from doing what you want to do. And, uh, and this is Romans seven when you or Romans seven is a, is a much more longer um, uh, explication of that of that process or that uh, um, state of being. But but this is the big thing that we see in this is um, and this is again to our point is this um, tension of living in the age of the flesh and the age of the spirit simultaneously. And so there is a sense in which we live in the age of the spirit and yet we still live in this affliction. This time of affliction that has come among us and there's an already to that that we are now in affliction. And in fact, this is the words of Jesus himself from John's gospel. John 16:33. Jesus says this, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, affliction, philipsis. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So there's a promise even in this affliction that we ha- we can have peace. This is what the Bible talks about with that peace that uh, surpasses understanding because we live in a world where we are partners in a tribulation and yet we can have this peace um, this peace in Christ yeah so <laughs> yeah and yeah and um, you're this is also I'm re- reflecting now on um, second uh, Corinthians uh, 1. Um, where where he kicks off, um, yeah, where he uh, where he kicks off the kicks off the book talking about how it, it's through the fellowship of tribulations of yeah. of afflictions that we um, right um, that we have. Um, uh, that we have the fellowship of comfort, that it is, that it is only only through that fellowship of afflictions that we have the fellowship of comfort. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, but, but, all this comes back to this point of like, so often believers are constantly about that question of when is the tribulation? When is the tribulation? When are we going to experience it? Are we closer to the tribulation than we did? Uh, or we see these, these sort of signs that we're like, we look for the signs and Christ's return is any minute now. And then, um, as I said in a previous episode, you know, like, uh, James White recently said, you know, there's this possibility that we might still be living in the early church. That there might be ten thousand more years of this, like of living in in tribulation, and this is kind of the heart of of um, what we would say. You know, for us, it's it's like he said, like like Jeff said, uh, you know, don't hold us to a a uh, a millennial view, and and, be, and partly because I think in many ways what we're talking about doesn't require a particular view of the millennium, but there's this idea that 
we live in a world of ups and downs. There's going to be times where persecution seems to be on the rise and, and the affliction is greater than, than it was before. And then there will also be times of relative peace and prosperity where the church uh, lives um, at peace. And as as I've, I've been saying, you know, sometimes we live in a Romans 13 time where our relationship to the state is they are standing up for our... Um, for our liberties, they they have they are protecting the family. They're protecting uh, property rights. They're doing things that a, a libertarian would want the state or the civil magistrate to do. Sometimes we live in Romans thirteen times, um, but more often we find ourselves living in Revelation thirteen times. I, I actually um, was in a discussion with some friends. We we've got a a key base conversation. Some friends of the show and uh, personal friends. And that's one thing that I talked about is some, some of the problem with talking about Ro Romans 13 and Christian anarchism is that the church uh, that has formulated our doctrine has lived in uncomfortable proximity to the, to the halls of power um, mm -hmm. for a long time. And so we've been living in Romans 13 times for a long time. Like you look at um, after uh, Constantine's uh, conversion and and uh, and his um, uh, establishing Christianity as a protected status, and, and even in, in the time afterwards where it became actually the the religion of the official religion of uh, the Roman Empire, and then we were able to have councils that were protected and called for by the the state and the, the civil magistrates not only protected Christians, but supported them. And so in that situation, Romans 13 looks a lot more real than Revelation 13. And you start to think, and, and, and even there's, there's maybe some uh, incentive to continue to support the government by making statements in the Romans 13 direction. And then you keep going. You've got the Holy Roman empire who, who stands on the side of the papacy and protects and, and supports the papacy. Uh, but then you roll down even to our own Protestant forebears and you see Luther. And how did Luther survive after uh, sticking his thumb in the eye of the papacy? It's because local German rulers gave him protection. And so for him, there, there is a sense in which he feels he's in the Romans 13 situation where the local magistrates are protecting him. And, and it's the same that of much of the time that follows, you know, the, the, the Calvinist reformation often takes place in conjunction with local rulers, uh, endorsing the, 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 the reformed spirit and, uh, the great Westminster, uh, confession of faith, which in, in many ways is a phenomenal doc document. I'm not uh, on the whole. I agree with about 98% of it. Um, some of my disagreements are corrected in the 1689. Some of them weren't. Uh, <laughs> um, and, and this, this is the big one is that the, what it says about the civil magistrate Well, it's easy for them to say those things about civil magistrate because the Westminster, uh, uh, assembly was called for, by the civil magistrate. And so it's easy for them to think, well, Romans 13 is the truth. It's the truth for all times. It's not just a situational truth. It is a truth for all times. 
But then we look at at um, John, and he reminds us, yes, yeah, sometimes we do live in relative peace with the magistrate, but oftentimes it's quite the opposite. Oftentimes we are living in the affliction and the endurance of the magistrate. We put up with these false uh, claimants to Christ's kingship um, as we walk and we live in this kingdom and we endure. And that that is part and parcel of what it means to have an apocalyptic vision, right? Yeah. So, so the, the, the name of this book is uh, Apocalypse or, or Revelation. Um, yeah. And, 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 and that, that genre in the scriptures, that apocalyptic genre, like what it means to have had yeah. an apocalyptic vision is to have, um, is to have seen things from God's perspective, seen things from the throne room of God, and seen how the 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 things that the things that seem like they they might be all right in your world are at enmity with God. To, mm. So to see to to see the ways that you have made peace with the dragon instead of having made peace with God and to yeah. be shoved back into your reality and, and have to deal with that. That's absolutely, that's what an apocalyptic vision is in every, mm -hmm. <laughs> in every place that someone receives one in scripture. And then, and, it, yeah. and, they, and they, and they don't always. Um, so like Daniel sees an apocalyptic vision and continues to serve the King that he sees is going to be ultimately defeated by the rock, which mm -hmm. is Christ. Yeah. And, and so, so it doesn't necessarily, it, it, it doesn't necessarily answer the question of what do I do with this apocalyptic vision? Right. Um, but, but this is what an apocalyptic vision is. It shows you, it shows you that, that, um, that you were slightly more dragon baby than you thought you were. <laughs> Yeah. And, and now what are you going to do about it? No, yeah, this is it's so true. Like when we get to that chapter uh in 6 years, um <laughs> that is one of the things that we're going to have to we're going to have to raise a question that we're going to have to raise is in what ways have the Christian right um uh, which by the way is my people. Yep. The Christian right is my people. Uh like like I know I'm a libertarian anarchist blah blah blah, but I have far more in common with the Christian right when it really comes down to it than I do with most libertarians um, in, in all honesty. But those are my people. And yet there's a very real sense in which the Christian right has has been the prophet of the beast. We have played. We have stood in as as prophets of, of the beast. We have clapped and cheered our way through the beast's wars through the beast's um theft and raping of this nation and of her wealth and of her people and 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 we need to we need to think about that we need to consider like what that means um uh, and to ask like so how do 
How do we repent of being on the wrong side? Like we have been. I really believe we have been. And we, we need to think about that. Um, so, yeah. So he says, I am the... Do you have more on this on this uh, affliction, uh, the tribulation? No, I, I, I think that uh, an hour in is the perfect time for us to get more than what is this nine words in greek uh, <laughs> into this chat. yeah yeah we are right on schedule really <laughs> all right so let's keep going uh sorry i i underestimated <laughs> by 11 percent how far we had gotten 10 10, we had 10 words in greek into this passage that's right <clears throat> Affliction of the kingdom and the endurance in Jesus being in on the island of that is called Patmos um, because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And here we have the potential to end our podcast, uh, a potential <laughs> disagreement between Jeff and I that, that we could, it could all be over right now as we were discussing our, our research on this subject, there is a little bit of disagreement between your two hosts. So either we're about to destroy this, uh, destroy this baby right here, or, uh, we're going to make for some better viewing than, uh, than, than just the, yes, I agree with you wholeheartedly that we've been doing so far. <laughs> well, you know, they say that, <clears throat> ever agree with anyone entirely one of you is unnecessary so <laughs> that's true that's true absolutely that, so i needed <laughs> 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 yeah so uh, but but he's on this island of patmos and yeah. there is a little bit of a problem um with this um for one thing when it comes to dating uh, it becomes a little bit of a tricky situation. And also because it's not clear that Patmos itself was a penal colony. Like, it's, it's not at all clear that that's ever what Patmos was used for. Um, but he says he is there on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So, um, now to be fair, the word exile is not ever used in this verse. Right. But... but that is the, the sense it's given because of because of exact that exact phrase that on account of the word of God and yeah. the testimony of Jesus that yeah that, um that uh, and um so to just dive in a little bit here so you have in in uh, in several of the church fathers you have um, the testimony that it was under under Domitian. Um, mm -hmm. that, uh, that John is exiled, and they and they they make it clear that he was exiled, and that and that's um and that checks out with this verse, and then um and and it's because um so unlike some of the earlier persecutions, Domitian's persecution was more wide ranging, definitely extended. Um, throughout a lot of the boundaries of the empire, outside of Rome, and into Asia Minor, as uh, Iowan Cap is is so ably Vanna Whiting for you on the screen, um, and uh, 
and so uh, and so there's certainly um, so so that that's one part is that the Domitian's persecution was actually more widespread. It's yeah. Um, it was grounded in a more fundamental opposition, whereas whereas Nero's persecutions were just grounded in Nero being a spaz. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, and 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 having having particular like political scapegoating reasons to yeah <laughs> uh, to go after the Christians. Um, uh, so for for anyone who's not familiar, real quickly, like Nero, um, there there's a uh, there's a non-Christian. Uh, I'm forgetting off the top of my head who, but uh, there's a there's a non-Christian source um, who says, is it? Is it Tacitus? Is it Tacitus who says is the one who who gives a testimony about the fire? Um, yeah, it could be. I think I think it's Tacitus. Anyway, who says that um, uh, that it started to go round that Nero had that Nero had started this fire because he had had mm. ideas for what to do with this this district. So yep. so to um, to throw suspicion away from himself and and to scapegoat uh, another another people, he found this universally hated group, the Christians. <laughs> yeah. And, and and so so Nero's persecution was more of convenience, whereas Domitian's yes. Yes. Was, was more fundamental that he is demanding to be worshipped mm -hmm. as a god. And and unlike so in in the episode with Patrick, we talked about how. Um, Claiming to be a god wasn't new with the yeah. mission, but but demanding universal worship as a god during his own lifetime this was new, and yeah. it's it's in uh, it's actually it is actually in the year eighty six or thereabouts. That a temple to Domitian is built in Ephesus, which is where we mm -hmm. think John is. So, like any good preacher, <laughs> a a temple to the Caesarian cult, a temple to uh -huh. Domitian, built in the town you're preaching from, uh, is a is a pretty good reason to get yourself under suspicion uh, from right. the authority. The right. Timeline, the timeline works out. Um. For him being on Patmos in the 90s, it's not absolutely slam the door on this possibly being written pre 70. Um, yeah. But um, and there um, there are some places where it seems like it might be predicting the year of the four emperors and stuff like that, and it's not predicting it if it's already happened. So so there's sure. um, so there 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 are some other places that that might tend towards a uh, a pre 70 yeah. reading, but this one. But like, well, and this is just simply <laughs> telling you where he is. Um, and it, I think he's making a, a broader point, by the way, by telling you, he's telling you he's on Patmos because he's also going to tell you that he's in the spirit and that he's yeah. in the heaven. And so he's making a point. Like, yeah. I think that's a broader point he's making and the reason he's bringing this up in the yeah. first place. But I think it's also, um, it also, when we're asking the question of when was this written, uh, it tends toward, in my view, it tends toward um, the answering in in favor of this is in the 
during the time of Domitian. Um, so we're talking 90s. Um, sure. So, now, anyway, I'll let you. I, for other reasons that we might get into as we get further along in, in the book, tend to take more of a 70s uh, approach, which I. Um, oh, oh. 70s, not pre-70. Well, 70-ish is what I'm going to okay. go with. Um, <laughs> okay. I'm not going to say... Um, I'm not going to say... Uh, I, I'm, I guess I'm not locked into, necessarily, it has to be predicting or pre-fall of, of, of the temple. Um, but it, it seems to be that it's around that time. Um, and that's... And for other reasons, but... But the big thing is like so. I'm, we've got right now a map on the screen, and these the what you'll see here is you've got um. Uh, let, let me see if I can bring my my uh, cursor back into this. Um. That property is this capture cursor. There we go. So what we got here. And you could probably walk this loop faster than we will cover the verses that this. <laughs> so what we got here in this uh, is we've got um, the seven churches that he's going to write letters to in the next uh, chapter. Um, and he's going to reference them later on in our section that we've got right now. But you've what what is important is that you see there's kind of a circular cyclical uh approach to it and this is kind of it covers much of what is called see the word asia of course we're talking about asia minor the the roman the roman um district of asia not uh what we call asia today of course but asia minor modern day turkey and even really the the tip of what we call turkey is got like you've got some of these uh Nations, Colossi, Miletus, um, Troas, things we've heard of before from other places. And uh, if, if I zoom out real quick, um, zoom out, zoom out real quick. And you see the, the range from there to Rome. You've got a bit of a distance from up to Rome. Uh, but but. Um, you, then there's Patmos right here. Now, this is one of the questions uh, when it comes to this verse. It says, I was on Patmos. Mm -hmm. So this is one of the questions that goes into the question of dating is, first of all, is he still on Patmos? Um, that is part of the question. And one of the questions is, why, why doesn't Miletus get get directed it could be because there's no christian church there or it could be that that's where he's standing as he writes the letter so he's not writing to miletus because he's there so he might have returned from and this is where the the question of and what is exile really becomes shows, an issue certainly the book shows evidence of having been crafted possibly yes. over six years so yeah yeah and and a lot of the scholars tend to tend to favor the idea that that he he's he's he might have written things down while he was in exile, but he's yeah. crafting after he's back. Sure. And, and, but but this is where um, I believe it's David Aune of uh, the guy who writes 
the author of the Word Biblical Commentary, has done a lot of really good work about the the issue of um, the issue of exile um, in in the ancient world. And one of the things he points out is it's possible that what what we have here is someone who chose a self-imposed exile. This isn't necessarily, maybe they're not necessarily sent to a prison colony, but that he chose self-imposed exile over um, execution. So we see some evidence that there is, um, that there was a possibility for particularly high classed or important individuals of which we know that John was both. Um, according to his own gospel, he had access to the high priest. Well, that means he wasn't just some low-level fisherman. He was an important, his family must have had important connections. And so, um, but also he's an important person because he's an apostle of this fast-growing religion called uh, Christianity. And he's one of the last ones remaining. Whether... Um, whether it is in the 90s, as, as Jeff would say, or in the 70s, which is when uh, the other apostles start dropping like flies um, during during the 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 Neronian persecution, um, yeah. which, as you said, was not as far reaching, but did have disastrous effects on the leadership of the church. Like both Paul and Peter will lose their life in the Neronian persecution. Um, and so. John is one of the remaining, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think James also. But I'm not sure yeah, about that. Sure if that's as clear. Um, I'm John not sure about that one. All of them, but yeah, at least to take to take to take the church fathers and the traditions. Um, yeah, which we don't. I don't think we have. We see any reason to doubt them on this point. You know, I, I know this. I don't think so either. Some places um, where Eusebius uh, seems to speak out of turn, but I don't, I don't see any reason to doubt them on that point. Um, yeah, so certainly I'll leave yeah. all of them. But yeah, you're right. Like James, James outlives Peter and Paul for sure. Yeah. Whether he, it, whether he makes it out of the fall of Jerusalem and the and the yeah. persecutions immediately after that, unclear. Right. I tend to doesn't. But I think yeah. that's when he dies. I don't think he. Yeah. I think he makes yeah. it to the fall of Jerusalem at least. Right. Um, but either way, we see he's an important figure in this movement. Um, he has apparently, um, he apparently has connections to high class in in Jeru in Jewish society. So it could be that he chooses self-imposed exile over execution. Um, now. I'm going to I'm going to tip my hat at Jeff at this point and say that does seem to favor his his dating. Like that would favor a, a, an actual official persecution um, that he would choose self-imposed exile. Unless we're saying this is not a self-imposed exile, but a fleeing from where persecution is happening, um, which is another possibility of his fleeing to Patmos because yeah, of the word of God in order yeah. to get away from. If he's fleeing persecution and if just going to Patmos works, then that tends to favor this isn't the Domitian persecution. <laughs> right, right. 
because yes. that probably wouldn't have worked. <laughs> um, right. So, so right. If it's exile, um, self-imposed yeah. or, or, or judicially imposed. Um, yes. If it's, if it's a recognized exile, mm-hmm. it favors the Domitian persecution. If it's, he's just yeah. hiding out, definitely favors Neronian or somewhere in that yeah. range. Yeah. Even the spatial, yeah. perhaps. But, yeah. Uh, because there was a there was a persecution under Vespasian. It wasn't. Um, yeah. It didn't. Yeah, make absolutely. Story is in the in the sources, but but um, but at any rate, um, uh, so uh, so yeah, that's. Um, uh, but wherever the case, this, this is where he finds himself, yeah. either before, prior to the uh, writing or during the writing. He was in Patmos when the when the revelation occurs, and um, and then he will write these letter and it will this letter and it makes its way around this cycle of churches, seven churches, and he writes a letter or a portion of the letter directed to each one, a, a pointedly directed aspect, and we will get to that sometime in the next year. But this is probably. This is probably yeah. an established cycle. And so yes. if you've maybe maybe you never have wondered, but if, if anyone who's who's listening or watching ever has wondered, in Colossians four sixteen, when it says yeah. after you read this letter, have it read to the church of Laodicea. In turn read the letter from Laodicea as well. And 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 so like sometimes I I've, I've had people read that and then ask me you missing part of the bible is there a letter to laodicea well first of all um first of all paul having written it doesn't make it bible so if he yep. did write a letter to laodicea and and we don't have it it's because it's not the bible and yep. we're fine don't worry but secondly it's possible that this is a circular <laughs> just a circular letter that this is an established mm-hmm. circuit and so the letter that we call Ephesians yep. is the letter coming from. So note, note in that circle, the closest one in the circle to Colossi um, is Laodicea. And yep. if you were to send the letter to Colossi, then the closest, um, the closest church in that, in that circle to, right. To receive a letter from Colossi would be Laodicea. And then they belong yeah. in circles. So if this is a if this is an established circuit, yeah, then it makes perfect sense that that so he's yeah. talking about possibly Ephesians <laughs> um, it, when he's writing. Yeah, I, I believe that's what that that their letter makes it onto that circuit as well. And I believe that that's uh, it's supported by a textual variant of the beginning of of Ephesians, where it says to the saints who are in Ephesus. And are faithful, but that word the saints in Ephesus and Epheso um, does not have uh, uh, attestation in some of the most, um, uh, um, I guess we could say, uh, reliable manuscripts. So it's possible that the word in Epheso was somehow appended because the one that we got was the copy that was made in Ephesus. So this letter that was sent around. Uh, the one we got is the one that the or, copy that was or, made in Ephesus, or vice versa. Or vice versa. 
that we got a copy right. that was coming, uh, in Philadelphia or something. And sure. So, so left off. In yes. FSO. Either right. way, it works, it works either way. So yeah. Yeah. That's absolutely. So, so yeah, this is, um, but also what's interesting is this is actually something that my, um, new Testament professor, um, pointed out to me or out to our class is that we see maybe something of the way that letters were written in the early church in both the trilogy of Ephesians, Colossians and Philemon and first, second and third John, which is in both of them. There's one kind of, you would call the circular major letter. The one that was, supposed to go to the most of the churches. You got Ephesians, which does not deal with local issues in any way. And it is clearly meant to be widespread and sent to all the churches. Same with first John, no local issues, just a widespread pass around. Then you've got a one that is meant to go to the church that you are addressing. And so you got Colossians right here. Colossians, the Colossi letter. And then you got second John, which is written to the elect lady, which many commentators would say this is not actually referring to a lady, but is actually John John's way of speaking about the church, like a local church. She is, a, you know, Ecclesia is a female verb and they are the chosen ones, the elect. So they are the elect lady. And then you've got the third letter, which is written to a particular church leader. And so it could be that Paul's real intent with Colossae was to write a letter to Philemon. That's why he's writing a letter to Colossae. But if he's going to send a letter to Philemon, he's also going to send a letter to the Colossian church. And so he writes a particular letter to them that has a lot of um, commonalities and similarities to, to the Ephesian letter, which makes sense because he's got the same sort of things on his mind when he's writing both. And so he writes the Ephesian letter, the letter that's going to be a circular letter, the Colossian letter to the local church. But the real point with Colossi is to get to that Philemon letter. And he wants to talk to him about his friend Onesimus, um, who has fled Philemon and he wants to speak on his behalf. Um, but you've also got the same thing. Yeah. First John, third John you've got is very much written to an individual who is a church leader of some kind. Um, so that's a bonus lesson that you weren't looking for here on the anarchist Bible study. You're welcome. Uh, we are nothing if not, um, uh, givers. So, um, I think we've maybe, sorry, go on. No, no. So I think we've maybe been looking at this map for long enough. Let's go back to, uh, the word hello, um, going on. Let's go back to the passage, which I think we, um, we have a few, maybe a few more things to say. On verse nine. Yeah, looking at verse nine. Um, let me get rid of that cursor, just for the clean cleanness of it. Um, no, let's get it, it's not gone. Um, so. So it's in Patmos. So he's in, he was in Patmos when this vision happens, wherever that happens is 7095. Um, and he's there because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. So that leads to the question of, okay, so what, why would this be the cause of his being 
in exile. This is a, an, an interesting thing to, to talk about as we are the anarchist Bible study. Like, what is he fleeing from? He is not fleeing from the Jews. This was the case of, of Paul fleeing under Caesar's protection to Jerusalem. This is not his fleeing from just common people. That's maybe, maybe not, maybe, but, but seems not necessarily, not necessarily true. Whether it is a, uh, a official persecution at the hands of Domitian or whether it's just the, the persecution of a madman gone mad with power and scapegoating, he is not in exile because of what he believed. I'll say that again. He's not in exile because of what he believed. He is in exile because of what he preached. He wouldn't stop talking. <laughs> like no one has ever been thrown into prison or, or killed because of their private thoughts in their head. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't happen. It is fine for you to believe and think whatever you want. Every government is fine with it. What you believe privately, what you say in a small, irrelevant gathering I don't care. The question is, what do you say when you come out and you start speaking publicly? Are you causing problems for the demission in your town? Yes. Yeah. Are that's the question? Are you and and there's a let's point out also that's not just a state thing. It's also our uh, a economic thing. Big business, right? Big business tends to tends to hold hands with big government. We see it at every age, uh, because the the temple to Domitian, whether it's the temple to Domitian or the temple to Artemis, in in the Book of Acts, there's big money to be made in That's offering exactly. sacrifices yep. and in building <laughs> idols. There's good money to be made in that, and so uh, if you preach against the gods, the pantheon of a nation of a, of a given territory. You might cause some jobs, and the and the uh, the big business will astroturf a riot as fast as you can imagine. Abs- yes, <laughs> exactly. They're gonna. What do they do? And then what do they do? They stir up a bunch of lies in order to get the people attacking them. Almost like you know, like I could imagine them saying things like, "Of course, this would never happen." But but we could imagine them saying things like, "Maybe they're racist." Mm-hmm. Or maybe they're Russian spies, <laughs> or 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 any uh, some uh, xenophobe bigot of this that and everything. Well, like there are all they, kinds of what, possibilities we can see. They claimed they claimed that uh, that Timothy wasn't circumcised and that Paul had taken him into the temple. Absolutely. Like yeah. So they'll 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 spread conspiracy theories about you. They'll yeah. <laughs> They'll, um, Absolutely. Yeah. This is the sort of thing. Yeah, it's we we act like we're surprised, like it's a surprise or something that we would never expect to 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 happen, and yet you know we see it all the time. Like this is this is what was happening at the t- at the uh, at the time of uh, whether it's the Neronian persecution or the the uh, or, or 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 the other one. Um, sorry, I'm blanking. But uh, or whether it's our own day. They come up with lies. Like, what is the problem? No, it's fine. You can believe Christianity. It's fine. But just don't, uh, just don't be a homophobe about it. Don't be a racist about it. Don't be a, 
uh, anti-Semite about it. Like they, they'll throw whatever label they can get in order to get people. But don't do any conversion therapy. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's it's, it's, it's trying to all... ban conversion. Yeah, <laughs> but but we have to ban conversion therapy. Well, what's the yeah. difference? Well, sometimes sometimes maybe they can make a distinction there. I, yeah. I I'm finding often <laughs> often they have a hard time making a distinction between yeah. regular good old fashioned conversion and what they're going to call yes. conversion. Absolutely, and 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 we find this is this is a uh, this is something that um, is is no less true of our age than it was in John's. Um, that that um, the first thing the problem is the first thing that the ter- the tyrant comes after is your speech. Uh, it's the word of God is the reason he's in exile. The reason he's on Patmos is because he is fleeing because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. The word about God, the speaking God's word, whether he's talking about general doctrine and scripture or he's talking about the specific gospel, which I think is probably more likely, especially in in light of the parallel with the testimony of Jesus. But um, because of his preaching this gospel, he is... In, in fear of his life. Yeah. Although note that 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 John certainly believes that all of the scriptures, including the old covenant scriptures, are about Jesus. So I yes. think word of yes. God is appropriate here. That, yes. That, that that he can't preach a sermon regardless of the text without mm-hmm. it being about Jesus. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And so these are these are uh, these are very intertwined. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it, it, but but the, but ultimately, like we're we're seeing uh, the nature of the state, even in this passage, to try and shut up anyone who's going to say something that's going to undermine their authority or desires. Um. And and uh, that that's really ultimately his problem. His problem, the problem that John has, isn't that he's preaching a revolutionary gospel. He and the church were not out there saying, "All right, so Jesus is Lord, therefore take up swords and conquer uh, territory." They were not saying, as as the Islamic faith did early on, that if we're going to spread it, it's going to be by conquest and sword. Um, no, they, there's all the, the, let's break it down to the simplest, what the gospel is. The gospel, according to Jesus is the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. It is this, the reason that the church very quickly turned the gospel into a kind of a two word answer. Jesus Kyrios, Jesus is Lord. This, this is the essence of the gospel. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, the son, eternal son of God, the one who, according to John, is with the Father from all eternity, becomes man, becomes human, born, as Romans says, of the line of David according to the flesh, the son of David according to the flesh. So he was born into the line of David to unite the kingdoms, you could say. To unite the kingdom of God and the kingdom of of man, 
the the king of God's king on earth and, and the king of heaven. And to unite the kingdoms, he comes to become the he's born of the royal line to be the king of all the earth. And he he does so by conquest on the cross, by by substitutionary atonement, by bearing our sins on the cross. And in doing so, he does stomp on the head of the devil and take away his power to convict the people of God and to accuse them. And he rises again to show that he also is ruler of life and death. So he conquers the grave, the last enemy to be defeated is death. And that's what he will put a final nail in that coffin when he comes home, comes back. And now he sits at the right hand of God, which is a place of reign and authority, the rule alongside God, the father in, in his, in his ascended human nature. He is the Lord of all the earth. And one day he will come back to conquer the earth. So, and in doing so, and in saying this, we have not once said, take up your sword and conquer for the kingdom of God on earth. But we have said that if you are a Christian, you owe ultimate allegiance to someone other than Caesar. That is the thing that Caesar finds completely unacceptable. Right. Ultimately, he doesn't... Uh, John. John talks about um, the word about God and the testimony. This is the word that eventually becomes the word martyr, but it, it starts out as a word being about law court testimony. Yes. The testimony about Jesus. Ultimately, Caesar can't let you bear true mm. witness in his courts. Yes. Absolutely. Caesar is ultimately hostile to yeah. a full testimony, to you telling the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Caesar yeah. can't have that in his courts. Right. Absolutely. Because if you tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, you're going to be talking about a power over Caesar. Yes. Yes. And that is that 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 is unacceptable. Like you think about this actually, um, um, uh, Dan Berman, Dan taxationist theft Berman came and spoke at, at the uh, Iowa Libertarian Convention and he made some comment about citizenship. Like, do you think you're a citizen? And he said, what is the definition according to the United States of citizenship is that you owe your ultimate allegiance to the United States government? And I was like, oh, is that so? I guess uh, this is apparently what I need to do to get a passport. I need to be able to swear allegiance. What do we do? We we insist. Oh, man, I'm going after the right now. Boy, I'm about to do it. We insist that our kids should say the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag. And this is what they call for. And this is really the ultimate problem. This is what Joe Biden and whether it's Joe Biden and Barack Obama or George W. Bush and Donald Trump, there is this sense that they're like, you know what? You can say what you want. Hey, believe what you want. That's fine. But are you willing to follow our law as primary? Hey, that's fine. You guys want to be Christians. That's fine. But there's a there's a pandemic going on. Y'all got to stay home. Like you owe more to me than you do to your church. So I'm when I tell you to stay home, you stay home. And this is this is a test and this is where 
this has been a test of our allegiance. This 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 uh this time of, of the pandemic has been a test of our allegiance. A question of do, do we truly believe that I owe more to Jesus than I do to the state, to, to the to the the sphere of civil governance, um, and, and and in many ways we have failed it. We have failed that test in many places, especially in the United States, where our where we have had we have less legal authority for what the governors have been doing. And ultimately that's what we've been seeing is every time we've tested the law, we found it cannot stand up to legal scrutiny, but we didn't, but they didn't have to have legal authority. They said it and we did it. Like they just, the governor said, all right, you got to stay home. No one ever stopped and said, wait, can they do that? We just did it. And, and it's, it was interesting is that, it does. It, it causes us to, um, like, it's it's it's. It should cause us to ask that question afresh, like if the governor says you cannot go to church, um. Does do, do they have that permission? Do they really have that say? And this is where, uh, where the the Christian libertarian, the Christian anarchist, will tell. Even the the non-Christian, or sorry, the the theonomic deconstructionist will uh, will say to the uh, our friends, the conservative Christians, like, um, well, we have a clear understanding of who our ultimate allegiance is, and whether you want to go all the way with us, this is something that we have raised, an issue that we have raised that we think you need to take a little more seriously and consider. Uh, do you okay? Does your actions match your statement that you owe more to Christ as King than to the state? And if it comes down to it, and and it does, and it might, if it comes down to it, that if your testimony to the to the gospel of Jesus Christ and to God's moral law. Um, will will result in your being thrown in prison. Are you still willing to stand up and preach it? It's something that I've had to think about. If I come to a point where I have the same option that John Bunyan had, the same option that um, uh, br- the, our brother in Canada, whose name I'm blanking on, uh, hey, Coates. <laughs> yeah, Coates, uh, that um. If I am offered that same option of stop preaching or go to jail, um, am I going to have the, the, the courage of John Bunyan to say, you let me out of prison, I will preach the very next day. And, um, and that's the courage of John. That's the courage that John exhibited, and that's why he was where he was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> um, I think we have and, been going for a while. It's because... Oh, sorry, go on. Now, even before, I, I just, to put a quick bow on it, ultimately, this he had that courage because even before he received this revelation of Jesus Christ, he knew who Jesus was. Yeah. <laughs> so that, so that, um... So that he did receive an unveiling, an uncovering of the truth about Jesus. Um, yeah. 
or 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 from Jesus, but <laughs> um, that that uh, um, that he did uh, that he did receive that on Patmos, but mm-hmm. he already had before receiving this vision on Patmos, he already knew the Jesus he served well enough to mm. for that choice for that choice to just be the simplest possible choice for him. Um, mm-hmm. and, um, that the, um, the word of God and the testimony about Jesus were going to be more central to him than being able to preach to his church, being able to mm-hmm. live with his family. He presumably lived a, a long enough and normal enough life that he got to have a family, um, yeah. to, to um, uh, to be able to, uh, to be able to, to, to live a, a regular, uh, regular, eat your meals, sleep in your bed, <laughs> comfortable life. Yeah. Uh, it, that was not, um, it was not, it was not worth, um, uh, it was not worth it to him as precious as any of those things might have been to him I mean, family <laughs> if, mm-hmm. if he had a family obviously we can we can understand how central that is but mm-hmm. um, none of those things could possibly be as precious to him as giving true testimony about Jesus yeah amen absolutely and uh, yeah and that's the uh, that's the the um question I have for our Christian friends, whether of the anarchist, theonomic, deconstructionist, uh, libertarian, uh, whatever variety you may be as you're listening to this, is that um, is the question is, do, is, is, is Jesus precious enough that he is worth giving up everything for? Um, are, are, do you truly believe that better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere? Um, if, if given the opportunity of life of ease and comfort, um, or go down in a blaze of glory and enjoy an eternity in the presence of our Savior, which uh, which sounds better to you. And uh, yeah, that's uh, I think an important question to always be asking. So um, we got through one verse, um, which, you know, does not seem abnormal for us, but uh, we, we also, obviously, Randy dropped the ball in several places, um, with our, uh, with our misfire at the beginning of the episode. Also, I don't know if you saw that, but he left our zoom chat on the screen. Uh, so you all could just see our, our show notes. So if you want to go back, you can rewind and pause and you can see exactly how, uh, detailed our show notes are. Um, so, <laughs> so Randy giving away all our secrets. You reminded me though of a of a relatively short quote from Malcolm Muggeridge that oh okay that I could put a bow on this. Okay. Um, I may, I suppose, regard myself or pass for being as a relatively successful man. People occasionally stare at me in the streets. That's fame. Hmm. I can fairly easily earn enough to qualify for admission to the higher slopes of the internal revenue. That's success. 
furnished with money and a little fame, even the elder, elderly, if they care to, may partake of trendy diversions. That's pleasure. It might happen once in a while that something I said or wrote was sufficiently heated for me to persuade myself that it represented a serious impact on our time. That's fulfillment. Yet I say to you, and I beg you to believe me, multiply these tiny triumphs by a million, add them all together, and they are nothing, less than nothing, a positive impediment measured against one draught of that living water Christ offers to the spiritually thirsty irrespective of who or what they are. Amen. Woof. There we go. That's that's something to write home about. That's, that'll take it home. All right. So I I think I think that's that's great. Let's let's call it a let's call it a day on that thing. <clears throat> so next week we're going to come back and we're going to try and take on uh two verses because we are very ambitious. And so uh, we'll come back again next week, and and we're actually gonna tr- we we keep testing and trying new things. We're we're gonna see if we can actually get a live stream audience uh, to hang with us uh, next week. I've I've got a few people in mind. I'm gonna ask to be our guinea pigs, um, uh, and so uh, maybe you're one of them. Maybe I'll maybe uh, one of you loyal viewers is gonna be getting a uh, a message from one or both of us. Um, uh, but really, just thanks again. Like uh, I want to say to those who've been following, who've been with us, uh, thanks for for your patience as Randy figures out how the heck to do his job, um, and as uh, we figure out how to uh, how this whole podcast is going to work and look and flow. And um, if and and yeah, uh, if you've got any questions, comments of any kind, be sure to either send them to the email which uh, currently only Jeff reads because uh, I because I just am lazy and Randy doesn't uh, know what he's doing. So uh, either do that, send it to the email or make a comment on I think YouTube. I sent the password to Randy. I mean, that might be the problem. Randy, yeah. Randy. <laughs> uh, so either leave a comment asking a question or uh, send an email and we love to uh, address it on the show. Um, otherwise, anarchistbiblestudy at gmail.com and otherwise just join us again next week as we take anarchy to church all right grace and peace grace and peace and i'm jeff park aka the proud proprietor of pergamum polishing and podiatry that's one of the reasons i kept muting myself before we started the stream as i was practicing i wanted to make sure i was gonna nail that one (laughs) all right my microphone has been off this entire time so we're gonna take two I'm going to go back to pre-show and we're going to try this again and see if I, you have to laugh just as well. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Now you know how hard this was. So let me get some water.